Hi, I'm Elissa Nicole Trust, an actor and writer living in New York City. Hey, I'm Lauren Schaffel, an actress and producer also living in New York City. And, and we, we are Positive, Positive Creativity, Creativity Podcast. Positive Creativity is a podcast where we speak with writers, directors, and other artists about what they're working on, what's inspiring them, and how they stay positive in this industry. We are looking to shed light on all of the wonderful projects happening in New York and beyond. Our goal is to give creative artists a platform to talk about their work and to give theater and film lovers the opportunity to learn about more creatives and projects. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you with support from Ahava Theater Company. Hannah Ryan is currently the Broadway resident director of Hamilton. Her other Broadway credits include resident director of An American in Paris and associate director of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Hannah is also a founding collaborator of Nettleworks, a creative collective. She has directed many productions at theaters including The Hoya Playhouse, Theater Row, Red House Art Center, Davenport Theatre, and Barrington Stage Company. Hannah is a member of SDC. She's a Drama League Director's Project Fellow and Resident, and a SDC Foundation Denim Fellow. Additionally, Hannah is an adjunct professor at NYU. So welcome, Hannah. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So, Hannah, we are so excited to chat with you today. And the first question we ask our guests is always, what is currently inspiring you? Yeah, that's a wonderful question and one that's always changing for me. And I would say normally like at the top of my list would be whatever show I saw recently or whatever project I'm working on. Um, But with theater being still somewhat shut down, though we are headed back, I would say I have a a variety of different answers this time around, which is very exciting because I've been able to really explore some new genres and um, just live my life in a different way this past year and a half, which has been really amazing, honestly, though challenging. Uh, The first answer that comes to mind is my students. I've been really lucky during this time to expand um, the amount of courses that I could teach. So I taught at NYU in the fall, and then I taught as a guest professor at Wesleyan University this spring. And I also taught at LIU in the fall too. So that was just an amazing experience. And I constantly kept thinking how challenging it must be to be in college right now and having such a different experience. So I was very inspired and filled with hope by the fact that my students were doing what they were doing and doing it so well and so optimistically and just surviving this time and like honestly thriving and still being extremely creative um, while up against such extreme challenges. So my students top of my list. Um, Also just time with family has been really inspiring, time that I would normally not have. I've spent way more time with my nieces and nephew this last year and also got some time back home from Ohio where I live. Um, and spent with my best friend Whitney and her three girls. And I've gotten to do that twice, actually, which was just such a gift and something I always hoped to do, but never really took the time to do. So I feel really lucky that I was able to um, make that happen during this last year and a few months. Yeah, that's all really amazing. 
you know, it's really nice to be able to have all of this family time and dinners at home and things that you wouldn't normally have. And it's such a wonderful silver lining of this really challenging and awful time in the world and really challenging time for our industry, which has been largely shut down for a year and a half. So what I'm curious about is how have you thought about how you're going to hold on to some of the things that you gained during the pandemic as theater begins to come back and the world starts to reopen? Yeah, I definitely have. I think it's going to be challenging. Like I'm already feeling the mounting pressure and urgency of, okay, we have a set date of when we're reopening and rehearsals are upon us and I'm scheduling and planning and doing all the pre-pro and I have the opportunity to teach two more classes this semester. So I'm already feeling my calendar filling up and I'm just constantly reminding myself, remember how nice it was when things really did just slow down and you had space to breathe and reflect and I am excited to be busy again. I honestly think I function best when I'm pretty busy and like multitasking, but I'm also looking forward to finding ways to find the stillness in my everyday and to just not listen to things or not read on the subway if that's what I need at that moment. So just trying to listen to that inner voice inside of me that's freaking out a little when things begin to get too busy and the urgency is too intense to handle. So yeah, I think I'll have to be creative and find those pockets of time because they will be few and far between. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm curious, how has the last year and and a few months really shifted for you in terms of, you mentioned teaching. Have you had any opportunities to do any kind of virtual theater or any, any other kind of new ways of creating during this time? Yeah, I have. I I taught a production, or I should say directed a production of Roe, um, a play by Lisa Loomer that's all about Roe v. Wade, and that was in the fall with um, students at LIU. And that was incredible, and that was such a roll with it. We didn't know at that time. We still, of course, didn't know what we know now in regards to safety measures and what it meant to be in person versus virtual. They were back in person at the university, but if their numbers reached a certain point, campus would close. And that happened the week before our final week, which was really challenging. We actually ended up getting special permission from the dean to still film in person that last week. So we were able to make a virtual production, which I was very proud of. And the students were just incredible in achieving that because they went from theater students auditioning for a production to now film students truly like acting on film and yet rehearsing virtually and having multiple props because even though we were filming it they couldn't touch a prop that someone else touched and so it was just a whole different level of theatricality that none of us could have really planned for but suddenly we were faced with so that was a really cool and exciting process I'm grateful that through all of that, we were able to meet in person, that we did rehearse a fair amount in person. And the difference between that and virtual was truly staggering. It was just wild how much more you can accomplish when you are face-to-face, even if it's mask to mask. And, and so having the ability to actually film it and take that production to the next level was amazing. And then I've also been developing projects with a lot of playwrights that I was 
either previously working with, I, I um, gained a new collaboration during this time, started another show that I've been working with a couple of my dear friends who sort of always been like, wouldn't it be great if we could just like get away and work on that show for a minute? And then here we were with all this time. So we started developing a new musical. I know you previously had uh, Matthew Webster on. He and I continued to develop a a new play um, together that we were previously working on that we just had the gift of time to take so much further than we ever would have if we'd both been working full time and balancing the many things we were previously doing. So yeah, I still continued to work and I still maintained a creative fulfillment that I'm really proud of. And I'm excited to see where those new pieces go now that they've had this luxury of time and investment. And yeah, we'll we'll just have to see what's next in terms of development. That is so wonderful. And it's so interesting on the podcast, because Alyssa and I were talking about this recently, this is a strange kind of documenting of a specific moment in history. Um, Like from our very first episode, which started right before the pandemic to now, just to see the evolution of some of these conversations. And some of the, the people that we've talked to on the podcast have been pretty honest and have said, you know, I really didn't have, um, any kind of impulse to create for a long time during the pandemic. Um, And some people have said, yes, I needed to kind of uh, keep myself busy on a lot of projects. But what, what I'm hearing with, with what you're saying, which is so lovely is that there was, there wasn't really a, what's the word I'm looking for. It, it, It seems like you really gave yourself space and time and this sense of nurturing projects that had already been in development. And that's such a wonderful thing to kind of, take things that were already seedlings in development and then really have this time to explore them through new mediums as well, be it virtual um, and in person with masks, maybe. I think that's just, it's really cool. It's really cool that you were able to to find it at what sounds like a very healthy balance of work and then also time to just kind of pause and reflect. Yeah, totally. And it was it was fun to play with that balance. There was only one period last fall where I got really busy again. And I honestly think it was helpful to remind me of the extremes, like that I could have been in something so still at the beginning of the shutdown, get busy again, and then slow it down and, and have time to reflect on what is good and bad about that multitasking state that I tend to find myself in often. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, So speaking of some of the more busy times, you are the resident director of Hamilton. Um, So my first question is for our listeners, really, can you explain what a resident director is and what a resident director does? Because not every show has one. Yes, this is true. It's it's a fairly new position that exists on Broadway and in commercial theater. Um, in the past, it tended to be picked up that role by a stage manager, and their their basic um, fulfillment of that role was to maintain the artistic integrity of the show. As more and more shows have become larger and companies are expanding, and like for example, in my time with Hamilton, there will now be six going on seven productions, which is pretty wild. And that all happened in a very short amount of time since 2015. So 
there seems to be this need for this role. And I honestly think shows are better for it because there is someone in the building that is specifically devoted to this task. Usually if it's a musical along with a either resident choreographer or a dance supervisor, whatever their title may be, that's the case with Hamilton. We have those two roles and it's a really wonderful, exciting collaboration that has the ability to change and ebb and flow just as the production does. And just as the creatives, the original creatives learn more and better articulate their original vision. And we get time to be with them in a rehearsal room or in meetings and get excited and go back to the cast and bring these new ideas and reinvigorate the process. Um, but ultimately, yeah, that's your, your number one responsibility. However, the director left that show on opening night and stepped away when their time is technically up, although they will still return and note and watch the show and have note sessions and conversations, they usually are busy people who need to move on and work on other projects. And so they'll hire a resident to maintain that original vision that was established on opening. And then, of course, the longer show runs, the more company members come and go. So as new company members join, it's also the resident's job to direct them through the show. So teach them their track. If it's a cover, they'll have multiple tracks and get them a full rehearsal process to be acclimated with both that show and that company to then walk into whatever random Friday night is their opening night and just seamlessly enter into that space and be a part of that company as it's currently running on Broadway or on tour or wherever you may be a resident. And so, yeah, that those are like my two primary things. It's in, in terms of artistic integrity, that's anything a director would normally do. Like I'm keeping an eye on lighting and on sound levels and the design elements. If, you know, pieces of props are starting to look a little tattered. And I, I noticed that from the house when maybe those on stage are just handling it all the time and less familiar with it or not less familiar, but less attuned to it because they don't have that outside perspective Um, Yeah, it's just getting that extra pair of eyes out in the house, watching it from the audience point of view and um, maintaining that original intention, both in story design. Um, Yeah, it's a a very exciting job, honestly. And because the company is ever changing, the job is ever changing, which keeps it fresh and creative for me. That is really, really cool. So I'm I'm imagining at this point, you've seen the show Hamilton many, many, many times. This is true. Many, many times. Wow. Are you involved as well in the, in the casting process or is that something that, that no, you're kind of more there once, once the creative team is assembled and then, or the new cast members are coming in and you're kind of helping at that point? Yeah, it depends. Um, it depends on the show and the the staff and the d- directing department. Like when I first joined the company, I was the first resident. So I joined as Chicago was opening and during their tech process. And so the original intention then, it's like silly and funny to look back now because we just grew so quickly after that. But we thought, okay, there's Patrick Bassel, who's the original um, associate. He's now the uh, directing supervisor, he and I will sort of tag team. Like when when we have people to rehearse in Chicago, one of us will fly to Chicago. We'll stay there and maintain the show for a week or two, and we'll both do the same thing with Broadway. And then if another company comes along, we'll just add that to our our rep of of companies we're responsible for. The f- the very next company was the first national tour, and they had a wonderful schedule where. The first year, basically, they were on the West Coast 
specifically in California. So we spent five months in San Francisco, five months in LA, and then ended the year for a couple months in San Diego. And it became very clear to us very quickly that that, you know, bi-coastal life and that flight is rough and having to do that multiple times a month and also Chicago thrown in there and still make sure Broadway's looking and feeling and um, functioning at a high level was really challenging. And so we ended up sort of dividing and conquering and he was doing mostly Chicago Broadway and I was doing Broadway tour. So I spent a lot of time by coastal, but I would spend longer chunks in California, like four or five, six weeks, and then come back to New York for three, four, five weeks and rotate that throughout the year. It worked out really beautifully for me because I actually have a lot of family in California. So yeah, I had a really wonderful year of, yeah, again, the balance of like getting some some family time and then I otherwise normally would not have had the the time in my schedule to see and visit with. So it was really pretty lovely. Um, but like I said, as, as it changes with the company, the role sort of shifts. So as far as casting goes, I did a lot more early on when we were sort of tag teaming. If there were casting calls on the West Coast, I would be over there. So sort of the, the, the West Coast liaison and I would do those. Now that we've grown, we've fallen into this model, which works really well, where every company has its own individual resident. So now that I'm just specifically with the Broadway company, Patrick's very much in charge of casting, which is great. Yeah, he, he can really form a relationship with those cast members because it can be a really long process from like your first walk-in and audition up until you're seen by the original creatives and selected. And so he'll, he'll do work sessions and different things with those actors and if he happens to be out of town, I'll, I'll sometimes fill in for those. And I used to, do, of course, do a lot more of them in the early days. But now we have a really nice balance of that tends to be his thing. And then I'll meet those company members when they join the Broadway company. Gotcha. Yeah, that sounds like a really great system. And as someone who's also, I'm originally from Los Angeles, so my my immediate family is still there. So I totally understand what you're saying. That is, yeah, it's quite a trek to go back and forth that five and a half hour, six hour flight. So it's nice that you were able to actually spend time there that it wasn't like every other weekend or something you needed to go back and forth. It's, it was kind of a, a blessing. It sounds like to be able to, to be able to be stationed there for a bit. Definitely. I became a master at that red eye. I would do the <laughs> Sunday night Reddit, so I had a proper day off here on Monday, but it definitely wears on you after some time. Oh, for, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what does reopening look like for you? Yeah, so we're reopening. Our scheduled day is September 14th. That's for the Broadway company. But all U.S. Hamilton companies are opening basically within a week of each other. Wow. So it's sort of a back-to-back set up and um, ending with Broadway. So they're already actually starting rehearsals for the LA company coming up here soon. I don't remember the exact order, but it is very like back to back to back. And we will get a full rehearsal process, which is amazing. So we'll sort of, you know, back that date up by four weeks for the full company. And then anyone who's either new to the company or new to Hamilton will start a little bit sooner. So if you're brand new to Hamilton and, and, you know, regardless of any company, you've never been in it at all, you'll start 
let's see, for basically eight weeks before. So you're learning the show before you then get in with the full company at four weeks. And then with Broadway, I, um, I, one of the wonderful things about being on Broadway that I feel very privileged and fortunate to have be the case for me is a lot of times new company members will come to us via another company because they already know the show and they're already in the show somewhere else and they ultimately want to be on Broadway. That's not always the case. Sometimes they have family in other parts of the country and they want to be in that particular area or with that with the tour and have that experience. But a lot of times it is like, people last stop Broadway, they want to end up there or they want that time with this show there. So again, it's a, it's a very privileged thing to be able to say. And I get to like teach them our version, but I don't have to teach them the whole show. So a lot of times it's a simpler process or a shorter, more expedited process. So that is the case with our rehiring is I'm just teaching a few people who've previous, previously existed in the Hamilton world, the Broadway version, before they then join the full company and do the four-week rehearsal process prior to opening on September 14th, which is just right around the corner. I'm very excited. Wow. So exciting. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, you must be so excited. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I agree. It is very exciting. It's very pinch me. And I honestly don't think it's totally hit me yet. I did three days in person for a choreography direction, we called it a summit where we came together and just sort of got our heads wrapped around the content again and found ourselves chatting through the show beat by beat and talking new new story ideas. And it was honestly really inspiring and exciting. And it still didn't really hit me. Like even being in space with people and talking about the show, it was still like, okay, and then I have this project I've got to wrap up and then I've got to get my syllabus ready for the fall. And like, I'm still very much in like pre-production, pre-planning. And then I think that day when I walk in there and it's the whole company there, I think that's when it'll hit me. But who knows? You can never plan these things. I am very excited, but I don't really think I've gotten the full like emotional wave of what that's going to feel and look like. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And of course, because you've never, none of us have ever been through a pandemic and then gotten to be back in a room with people again after a year and a half. Like, it's just such a crazy thing to go through, um, you know, everybody's first time, but that that's really cool. Yeah. So, so amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm excited for you to, to have that experience of having the full company back together. Wow. Yeah, it'll, it'll be pretty thrilling. And I'm also feeling very, very fortunate and blessed that, to be one of the first companies opening. But I do think it is, it feels like in New York, like the energy here feels sort of like a a floodgate is about to open. And I think every, not everyone, but a lot of companies and off-Broadway and regional are just following suit, if not already ahead of the game. So it, it feels like just the beginning of a lot of people getting back to doing the thing that they love, which excites me the most. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So going backwards a bit here, um, we'd love to hear your story of becoming a director. How did this whole journey start for you? So it actually started when I was one week old. I was born in December, December 13th. And um, 
my like a local, I don't know if it was the church or the community. I honestly need to know more about this story from my mom. It was probably church, knowing my parents and their involvement in the church. They had me be baby Jesus in the nativity scene. It was oh. a live nativity scene, which makes me think it might have been community. I'm not sure. I need to ask my mom so I could tell this story. <laughs> but the, the idea is that I acted from the first week that I was born. So I was meant to be in the theatrical realm in some way, shape, or form. And my mom is very theatrical, and she acted in plays in school and sang in musicals and has an amazing voice. I did not inherit her voice. I cannot sing for the life of me, but she has an incredible voice. And so I think it was something she was always really passionate about and passed on to me, her love of theater and music and the arts in general. Um, And she made a point to immerse me in it in whatever way she could. I did grow up in central Ohio in a very small town. We had a stop sign in my town. And um, my public school, like my graduating class, had 63 students in it. So very, very small. So there wasn't a lot of exposure. Like we didn't have a well-funded drama department. We had a drama club and it was whatever money we made from fundraising and we cut cardboard sets and it was very basic. But I made a point to still access it in whatever way I could. I was obsessed with reading. I still am. I read a lot. And I looked forward to like the highlight of my week in my small town was going to our local public library. And so I had like a library bag in my card and I would get so excited to first go check out all the books I wanted to read. And then I often would check out musicals in VHS form. And so my early access to musical theater was, you know, whatever filmed versions existed in the world, like The Music Man and My Fair Lady and big fan of Calamity Jane back then. And so, and my mom loved them too. So we would often not win the family debate of what we could watch on Friday night. We usually sat up uh, and watched, woke up early, I should say, and watched them on Saturday mornings, just my mom and I. And that became something that really bonded us and that she instilled in me the love for that. And then I, when it came time to go to school, um, like, like a lot of parents, my Um, parents wanted to make sure I had like a strong foundation and a solid career. And again, I don't blame this on them trying to push me away from theater. We just weren't that exposed to it. So I don't think we really understood then that you could have a solid career in this, especially if you wanted to do something other than performing. Mm -hmm. And so they encouraged me to study nursing in school. And I, I tried that out for a minute. Like I applied to schools that had good nursing programs. But I think in my heart, I always knew I just, that wasn't me. Like I couldn't do that. I could try and I could excel at it and and have a career in it. And my dad kept saying, you can always do community theater at night. Like that can always still be a part of your life. So again, they weren't trying to take it away, but they wanted me to have security. And um, I go to a public library. I, I got into school and, and was going to study nursing And I would sneak off to the library because we didn't have internet at my house at the time. And I would apply at the computer lab for schools in California because I was obsessed with California at the time. I I would go through these like phases of history growing up of like obsessed with this decade and read all these books about it. And so at that time, I was really obsessed with the counterculture and like hippie San Francisco. So I really wanted to move to California. And so I applied to all these schools in California and they email or they didn't email your acceptance letters at the time they mailed them. And so I 
came home from school one day with my dad sitting at the table, very upset. My mom there too. And a family meeting was commenced because I had gotten into all these schools in California, even though I was set and ready to go to this school in central Ohio and study nursing. So it was a really necessary conversation that was going to happen at some point. So I'm glad I kind of pushed the issue. And I just like poured out my heart and said, like, I can do that and I can live that life and it could be great. But I think I would always regret this. And I know this is what I'm passionate about. And they supported that and they took a huge risk. The compromise was go to a community college for a year, get some of your, um, you know, your basic classes done, try living on your own in Columbus, maybe try theater there. And then you can transfer to a school in California after we've gone there and looked at the schools together. So my dad took me out on that trip. And it was a wonderful compromise. Honestly, I did, I did start acting in Columbus. I was in a professional production of um, a show at like a Shakespeare in the Park version there in Columbus. And then I transferred to a school in San Diego. Um, My junior year, I studied abroad and I went to London and that was extremely transformative. I saw the most amazing productions, like every bit of non-exposure I had as a child was just like blown away that semester because I just saw everything. I think I averaged six shows a week while living there for four months. So I was just at the theater every night and every chance I got, we would read the plays by day, go see them at night and then break them down the next morning. And it was just amazing. It was a very immersive experience. And I saw productions directed by women, which I had honestly never seen, which is crazy to say, but true. I saw Katie Mitchell's The Seagull, which is legendary, which she talks about in her famous directing book. I saw a production directed by Emma Rice, uh, Marianne Elliott. And it was just this moment of realization that I can do that too. Like the way that they think about story and the way they see design and the way they use their voice as women is something that I connect with and relate with and want to be a part of. So I came back to San Diego. Again, that was my junior year. I switched my focus in undergrad from acting to directing, found a local community theater because my university in San Diego only offered three productions a year and that just didn't feel like enough or as like hungry as I was and of course they were all uh, professor directed and so I started directing at community theater my junior senior year of college and on into my early career there and I just tried out everything I directed Shakespeare I directed Moliere I directed new works by local playwrights and I created an ensemble of actors in that community and had an amazing time learned so much made tons of mistakes I started an outdoor Shakespeare festival that they do still sometimes do. It's not annual, but they do it um, about every other year and um, got connected with La Jolla Playhouse, which was life changing that to this day, I still attribute as my home theater. They've been incredibly supportive of my career. They're very much an artist first regional theater and they pushed my career forward in ways I never imagined. Like I constantly, I started out stage managing. I was a PA on a production. I've now done a dozen shows at La Jolla Playhouse from PA all the way up to directing um, one of my own devised pieces that I, I did with my creative collective Nettleworks. And I just constantly reminded them like, yes, I'm stage managing, but that's to get experience because I'm a director. And like the more they heard me say that and the more they saw how confidently I pushed my career in that direction, they they listened and they believed in me and they continued to advocate for me. And I'm I'm a huge fan to this day. And I and a lot of the people I work with now or have gotten, you know, 
connections with to be where I am on Broadway are attributed to my time there at La Jolla Playhouse in those early days. Wow. There's so much to comment on with that. That, wow, just this whole journey is so incredible. Um, but yeah, what really, what what I'm really hearing, especially kind of at with your work at La Jolla is like how important it is to be an advocate for yourself uh, in this in this industry, like if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is really going to take you seriously either. And the fact that you you had the wherewithal and the confidence and the talent there too to make that happen is just is really inspiring to hear. And also, how important it is to to build those relationships and connections with other people because you really don't know what opportunities that's going to open up elsewhere. I'm just kind of, yeah, like mind exploding thinking about how that opened up opportunities for you on Broadway and with Hamilton and other endeavors. That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, even more specific to that point, the reason I'm on Hamilton, like I didn't know Tommy Kale, the director before, never had met him, never worked with him, but the lighting designer of Hamilton, Hal Binkley, was a dear friend and mentor, even though he's a lighting designer and I'm a director, he just sort of took me under his wing from early days of working on new musicals at La Jolla Playhouse. Like he took the time to notice me working hard as an assistant director or as a PA, depending on the production. Notice I kept sticking around. He'd come back to do another show, you know, fly in from New York, work on this next one. There I was again, working hard, staying late. And we just became friends. He, he took notice of my career. He would text me and check in and encourage me. And he would always say, I can't wait to design your first Broadway show. And he was just such an advocate of my career and randomly texted me one night. Actually, it was the day I got the closing announcement for an American in Paris. And I just moved to a new apartment and I was feeling excited and like, you know, New York's at my, you know, fingertips and everything's working out, get this closing announcement. And suddenly I'm like, I'm not going to have a job in a month. And that just happens. That's, that's, freelance life right and it was just sort of a smack in the face and I looked down at my phone and how Binkley had texted me hope you don't mind I just put your name in because they're looking for a resident director of Hamilton yeah and that's yeah from my days at La Jolla lighting designer to to young PA or a aspiring director taking notice and those connections are huge wow that's so cool it goes to show right did like to really to not only get to know people but also to be kind to everybody you meet in this industry because you just never know you really never know what kind of connections can and opportunities can come out of these relationships and just being as you were cool to be around and a hard worker and talented and uh, resilient in pursuing what you wanted that's that's so amazing yeah, he was an incredible person. And I do think, yeah, the, the working hard and being nice people, like, and it, everyone in the room, everyone is working hard for the same, to achieve the same goal. So take notice of that and appreciate that effort that's happening around you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and the other thing that came to mind for me that is sort of, unrelated but also related because it's all related um is this idea that 
you knew that this was what you wanted to do in your heart and you sort of like had to go for it. And I totally feel like a lot of people who either have families who discourage them from pursuing what they want to pursue, whether that's acting or directing or just a life in entertainment and theater in general, um, like my family, or whether it's just people who don't really know or understand that you can actually have a career and make a living being in theater or being in the arts. Um, And like, if you try something else, I feel like it always just pulls you back. If you know that this is what you're on the planet to do, it's what you want to do in the world, you're passionate about it, you're always going to find your way there, no matter how it is. And so I loved that, like this story about, you know, you having a family meeting with your parents, because not only did you apply, but you got in. Um, And I love that, you know, the way that you talk about it, that like they, that you were able to kind of come up with a compromise that worked and, um, you know, then you were able to transfer and you were able to study abroad and do all of these things that clearly hearing you talk about it just lit you up so much. And like, could you imagine if you hadn't done that, like, and you had gone on a different path? I'm sure it's probably hard at this point to imagine your life having done anything else or not going on the path that you went on. So um, I love I love hearing the origin story and, and just like how this, this world was meant for you. Oh, thanks for saying that. That actually reminds me, hearing you articulate in that way reminds me of a piece that I, I developed that, that like, you know, makes sense, right? That's like my journey and so true to my experience, but a piece that I, that I mentioned um, developing at La Jolla Playhouse is called Every Path. And it's exactly that story. It's about what if I'd made one different decision? What if I chose to have a child instead of not? What if I'd taken that trip and met that other person? Mm -hmm. And it's five different women having made five different decisions, each a single decision, but they're a different version of themselves. Oh, Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think about it often and how, yeah, how very different your life can be depending on any one decision or any one influence. Yeah. Or sometimes decisions that are made for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I've had this discussion with my husband so many times that I had been on the wait list for an MFA acting program. I don't even know if Lauren knows this. It's so crazy. I don't think so. Wow. No, I was like, this is new for, news to me. Yeah. And, and I didn't end up getting off the wait list and I just didn't get into school. So I ended up being in New York that fall of 2015. And that's when I met my husband. And if I had gotten into mm-hmm. school, we probably never would have began dating because I would have been living in Boston. So um, like, And if I had gotten in, I would have gone. I would have made the decision to go get my MFA in acting. So just like sometimes even the decisions that the universe makes for you um, also can like change the course of your life. Wow, that's amazing. It's so true. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that story, Alyssa. That kind of blew my mind. Um, And I think, yeah, it's true. That sounds kind of cheesy sometimes, but I've always heard... You know, everything happens for a reason and we may not know it at the time and it may feel like it sucks so much the time when something we want doesn't happen but you're right like maybe you know what there's some kind of higher power out there if you just trust like nope something something else is going to happen further down the road 
Yep. Yeah, definitely. Even that, yeah, getting a closing announcement, but then very same day an opportunity appears. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Wow. So you mentioned, Hannah, that you have a creative collective called Nettleworks uh, between yourself and artist Melissa Gordon and writer Mary Hadry. Can you tell us how how that came to be and um, some of the projects that you all have have devised together? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we created this creative collective called Nettleworks and we all lived in San Diego at the same time in early days of our careers and we're actually related. I was going to say in some shape or form we are, but the reality is we are. My husband is married to Melissa Gordon, so that's my sister-in-law. Oh, cool. Yeah, and their first cousin is Mary Hadry. And it, originally, when we first formed the company, my other sister-in-law, Jessica Davis, was also involved. And she still explores ideas with us and has creative input. And depending on schedules, will still sometimes contribute. She's a professional violinist, so she'll often contribute original composition or a soundscape or be involved in that way or just provide just also just insanely smart and a very good storyteller and provide insight on um, whatever particular narrative we're exploring in the moment. But at that time, we were all at a point in our lives where we just didn't feel like the stories and the experiences we were having or the stories we wanted to tell were being represented either on the stage or in media and mainstream media. And we were reading a lot and exploring a lot of different ideas related to the feminist movement and what it means to be a woman. We were at an age where Melissa had already given birth and Mary was considering um, having a child and I was very career focused and that was just not something I wanted at the time. And so we had very different futures planned, but we still had so much in common. And that really... um, inspired the idea that I already mentioned of every path. So that was our first piece together and um, very much a representation of the shared experience we had. And we were all very unique artists with different disciplines. So we're like, how can we pull what we do and create something truly unique that's not I don't want to say not been done before, but that encompasses the story we want to tell. And so Melissa is a um, artist. She's she specializes in sculpture art and installation pieces. And then of course Mary's a writer. And then with my experience as a director and um, a divisor of new works, and then Jessica having the music background, we like just would brainstorm and we started a narrative that bled into a script. We didn't even know if it was going to be theater at first. We're like, let's just see what happens here. It ended up becoming an immersive theater experience that had um, five different stages. Like I said, five versions of this woman's life and the audience would enter into the space and every person had a card that had a different order of those five stages. So you had to journey through this Um, garden with these various paths you were going down a different path to a different place than anyone else in the um the production that at that particular moment so it was very individualized which was the intention of the individual women having their own individual experiences and like I said very immersive because you're in this space of of birth and um and 
choice because you're you might be at a path that splits off somewhere else but is that what your card says and guess what you can go that other way if you want because there really were no rules it was meant to be very self-guided and uh, and then it all culminated in a sung performance at the end that all the women for the first time recognized and had this sort of cathartic moment of you're the version of me that I didn't choose because of that one decision. And then they would collectively see each other and recognize each of those individual decisions. And it was just a really beautiful lightning in a bottle type of experience. Uh, We did it for the La Jolla Playhouse site-specific festival called Without Walls. So it's intentional to be like a non-four-wall theatrical experience. So this piece kind of fit perfectly into that because we are like, we want it to be outside. There's sculpture, there's music, there's dance. There's a narrative, but it's nonlinear. And so it was just really cool to just take our ideas, work together for, I think we, we developed it for about 18 months and then have this sort of um, structure to then play with once we got to that space. And with them having all grown up in San Diego, more specifically East County, San Diego, which is very desert-like, there were a lot of natural elements too. Like I said, that idea of birth and how nature replenishes itself and fire these were all themes that um, existed within the piece and as well as like nettle for nettle works is also like a native mm-hmm. plant in San Diego that um, can be toxic, but can also be very beautiful and fragrant. So there's a lot of themes of nature and natural beauty and, and um, how that ties into a woman's life. So that was our first piece together. We then sort of zoomed in on one of the five women and created another piece that was about motherhood. And that one had very direct parallels to fire and decay and rebirth through um, the natural landscape and desert and San Diego, more specifically like the East County um, landscape. And that actually coincided right around the time that there were a lot of really devastating fires Mm -hmm. there in that area. So that was very unintentionally, um, just like present on everyone's mind as it was happening and the kind of wild timing, honestly. And that piece we did in an art gallery and we pre-recorded. I actually never went there until the piece opened, but I, cause I was busy in New York, but I worked with actors in New York, equity actors in New York. And we went to a sound studio and worked with the sound designer and we recorded the narrative, which was a separate piece. And, um, sent that to San Diego. And then we had these gorgeous like artifacts from, Melissa's grandmother's property that were burned in the recent fire. So there were actual like tactile objects there that had been influenced by the weather that had been happening right around the time the piece was um, open. So that was really cool. And we had ideas to expand that into a, a much larger immersive piece. We had an actor there too in the moment who the character was meant to be pregnant and we had done like a a small workshop version of it in a different gallery a few months prior. I want to say like six months before and we wanted to work with her again because she was wonderful and she fit the piece so well and she was an incredible collaborator and when we called her up to say we made some changes to the script by the way the character is pregnant she said she was pregnant too. Like Whoa. it was the most wild thing. And we we're like, how pregnant are you? She's like, I'm about six months. Like I found that I was pregnant soon after the last piece. And so it was so perfect. Like we, it was just amazing. So there are pictures of that particular um, installation piece on my website and they're just stunning because just all the things just came together in a really lovely way. And like I said, even, even the weather 
somehow thematically fit into the narrative. And so that was a very special experience. But yeah, we have hopes and plans to do, I would love to do every path in New York City as an immersive experience, maybe like in a, um, um, an old structure that's falling apart to kind of show the decay and maybe we fast track the, the woman's life or, or experiment with what is it like to be that woman, but maybe 10 years further down the road in her life when she has a lot more to think about and reflect upon. So we're, we're hopeful to continue developing both of those pieces and continue to have discussions about other possibilities. Wow. That sounds really powerful and so amazing. And I feel like in in some weird sense, like, I don't know, some some of the productions you're describing of um, of being outside and kind of having these like different paths people can walk down and hearing, like ending in a, in song outside too. It's almost like it was, these pieces were almost ahead of its time in a way in the, in the era that we're in now where they're, all, so much of the theater I'm hearing about happening, at least in New York currently, is happening outside and in immersive spaces. Um, I have a friend who's working on a show right now called Seven Deadly Sins, which is happening in like a New York City storefront space. And it's just, yeah, it's cool to to think about some opening up theater beyond just, you know, a, a physical space of a building in Times Square, like what other, what other places can we devise theater? It's just, it's cool to think about that. That's so cool. I hadn't thought about that and yeah, how much more accessible that is now. And during this time, I actually am friends with Michelle Hausman, the artistic director of Miami new drama where seven deadly sins started during the pandemic. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Totally small world. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, I I love all of this. Powerful is the perfect word for it. Um, it's everything about it. I, as you were talking, I was like, I would love to see that. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It sounds like the dream, right? Where you get like a bunch of people who have a similar vision, but very different skill sets or are in different aspects of the industry. And also different perspectives, but you're working together to create this vision or this shared idea that you want to put out into the universe. It just sounds like this absolute dream. Um, just like, what a cool experience. Um, so that's amazing. And then the other thing that I was going to say, I just think it's really cool that you love to develop pieces and that it feels like the work is never done, even Hamilton. Like it's still, even though your job is literally to like protect the integrity of what was already created and already frozen in the show, like you're always trying to help and trying to help these pieces grow and change and develop. And I think that's so cool. And like San Diego is such a different place from New York, but how cool would it be to do it in New York? Um, I, I love it. I love everything about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, my ability to be a part of something, I mean, I'm very much a carny. Like I, I, I actually, my grandparents were carnies when I was a child. My grandma still is. She's still alive and running an ice cream trailer and she's amazing. Yeah. She's 89 years old. Yeah. Wow. 
a carnival route, but I say that because it's in my blood. But I have a hard time as a freelancer and as a as a lifelong artist now staying attached to the same thing for too long because there's just something in me that I, I love to follow my curiosity. Like I want to, I love to do that thing and like delve into it and research it heavily and, and tell that story. And then there's another story or there's another idea and then I need to research that and like delve into that. And so I think part of the reason why I've been able to stay a part of Hamilton for so long is because they do encourage this change and this ebb and this flow with the current state of the world. Like not, to, I mean, like the show is the same. I, well, I once heard Tommy Kale articulate this beautifully. He's like, the show is the same, like the lyrics are the same, but the people that walk into the building have changed. And so when we receive those words, we interpret them and we hear them differently depending on who we are that night. Yes. And so, yeah, that has really stuck with me. And I like to think that that is a huge part of why I'm still with the same show five years later is the words have power, yes, but they're also interpreted by the many different actors that come through that door. And that's been the joy of the five years is working with so many different actors and helping them create a character that encourages their own individuality as well as the, the characters they're playing and the text that was written for them. Yeah, absolutely. And it also makes me think about, you know, not only are are the actors different in bringing a new life to the roles, which then informs your work on the show too and changes within the show, but also events going on in the world at large that impact the people, not only performing in the show, but watching the show. Um, I've seen Hamilton only once on Broadway, but there's a part of me that's, I've, I've always wanted to see it again. And there's a part of me that I just wonder seeing it again after the last year and months, like what, what's going to resonate differently seeing that show now? I mean, songs like I'm not throwing away my shot after the past craziness of this year. It's, I, I don't know. I feel like that's just going to be emotional in a different way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. And that is that is another thing that's been so amazing is like, depending on the political climate or the social yeah. climate, different phrases just really jump out. And we'll get like, I'll never forget, like right out after the Women's March, like when Angelica says include women in the sequel, like for weeks after that was the showstopper, like clapping and standing mm -hmm. and cheering. And that was so powerful. And obviously, post 2016 election, the King's numbers suddenly felt very different. And there was a tension in the room that there wasn't before. Wow. So it is very exciting to watch how that changes. And I and yeah, I agree. I don't know what what those moments will be. But I'm very excited to be in the room and get to hear them and experience them as they as they suddenly leap off the page for us anew. You'll be in the room where it happens. <laughs> I will be. Bad jokes. Sorry, bad jokes. It runs in my family. How can you not? Well, Hannah, I want to thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It was so wonderful to be introduced to you through Matthew Webster um, and to really bring this, as we talked about off air, full circle and to be able to talk to you about your experience as a resident director and hear your story. And I love that the circle has come full completed, that you're continuing to work with Matthew on his new project as well. We're excited for you, both of you about that. And yeah, 
thank you for, for being so generous with sharing your insights and your stories. Absolutely. I, I'll give you a little brief update on it. If like <gasps> yes, please. Yes. Yeah. So we've been, yeah, of course. So Matthew Epster and I have been developing a new play over the period of the pandemic. We started working together in the fall before the world shut down and we did it. We, we met and we did a, a brief casual like closed reading then. And then we, um, kickstarted 2020 with an in-person reading pre-pandemic um, at Theater Row, and it was very successful, and we were very excited, got some industry folks in, made some plans to make some major changes and continue to work on it, and then the world shut down, and we realized, as you heard from Matt's podcast, that we were able to devote a good amount of time to it. We've actually met twice a week this entire time. We've taken a week or two off when one of us has been visiting family, which has been wonderful, but it's been very consistent. But I'm excited to announce that we are developing it now as a TV show, as a a limited series. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. So we'll see what comes, but we're, we're in the midst of it. We have producers attached and we've been shifting our goal now from developing the stage play version to now the pilot. And then of course, the pitch. So we're, we're preparing the pitch as we speak. Oh my goodness. That, wow. That's really exciting to me as, as an actor who I grew up in the TV and film world as a, as a child and a teen actor. So like TV and film to me is home. Um, I know we talk a lot about theater on our podcast too, which I also love, but yeah, t- new TV and film projects are always just really exciting to me. So, whoa, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. That's exciting too to hear that. I'm gonna like look you up now and be like, "Oh, a kid." <laughs> oh my goodness! I posted something recently on Instagram of like my old demo reel from when I was a kid, and people are like, "Whoa, what? That's nuts!" So yeah, good times down memory lane. Um, but wow, have you have you directed for TV and film before? I haven't. My honestly, like my most involved television experience, I should say film experience was during the pandemic. So it's very new for me, but we do, like I said, have television producers, one of which is a showrunner and I'm on as executive producer and then developed by credit. So I'll continue to be right there alongside Matt and push the piece forward in every way I possibly can. And then we'll see when, when that time comes, what my role looks like, but I'm because I lack the experience, I'm very willing to step aside and let it happen because I mm. care so much about this story and it's need to be told. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. That makes me so excited for you and for Matt as well. Yeah. We, you know, so have done so many amazing things in theater and to be delving into this world of TV. That's really special. I cannot wait to support you when I'm sure that we'll hear lots of updates. So definitely keep us posted. Will do. Yay. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. It's been amazing to hear your story and to chat with you. I'm so glad that we were able to do this. And I I can't wait for our listeners to tune in. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to spend time with both of you. Thank you so much for listening. We always love hearing from you. You can email us at positivecreativitypodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at positivecreativitypodcast. And for more info on our guest today, please view the show notes.
Join us next time on Positive Creativity Podcast.